back to the Homestead Connection. It's Kylie, and I am so excited for today's podcast episode. We are talking about dairy sheep today with Rachel Hester from Whoopsie Daisy Farms. Rachel is a wife, a mom, a homesteader, and a published author. She actually just published the book called The Guide to Homestead Dairy Sheep. Rachel, I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you for being here. I feel like sheep in general are just really having a moment within the homesteading community. And the fact that sheep are so multifunctional and multi-purpose really make them a unique animal to bring onto the homestead. So thank you for being here today. I'm really, really looking forward to our conversation. Thanks so much for having me. How did you and your husband get started homesteading? What did that journey look like going from starting your homesteading journey to now having a relatively decent sized herd of sheep and becoming a shepherdess? And then of course, writing a book. I want to get to that of course too, but tell us a little bit about how you guys got started homesteading and what that journey has looked like for you guys. <laughs> sure. So we are in central Kentucky. We have eight and a half acres. We bought a foreclosed property about six years ago, uh, you know, before homesteading was cool. And um, <laughs> when we got here, the previous owners had taken literally the kitchen sink and everything else. Like there was no flooring. It was subfloor. The kitchen sink was gone. Um, the hall bathroom was like the 80s tile everywhere and it had the tile like toilet paper holder and they'd broken those off so when we got here i mean it was like yeah i mean it was it was like they were angry when they got evicted apparently so um (laughs) and they had had two trailers here so it's it's been kind of a very interesting um entry into homesteading because you know we have we have a couch still in one of our pastures um you know lots of trash piles and that kind of thing (laughs) so just for those of you starting out be encouraged you do not have to have a plug and play you know picturesque pinterest worthy martha stewart homestead um yes so we we had been very adamant dave ramsey's uh when we bought this place part of the reason why we got a foreclosure so um our our property came with two and a half barns, two of which were very well built and used to store a tractor and hay. And the other one was not well built and it's falling down. So um, now we have the U barn, the poultry barn, and its official name is the falling down barn. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that's what it's called. Um, so around the U barn and the the poultry barn, which is also where we keep our our rams, um, the paddocks are made with salvage pallets that my husband was able to pick up when he worked at the airport. Um, and then there's not any other permanent fencing on our property that we haven't put in here. So we've kind of slowly inserted bit by bit, um, but we keep our animals in entirely through uh, Premier One Electronet or chicken tractors or movable. Um, we would like to put in permanent fencing, um, but just again, as an encouragement for those just starting out, I mean, we we got here, it was a house, two barns, and that's it. So we we didn't have electricity to the barns. We still don't. We didn't have le- running water to the barns. Still don't. Would like to have that one. Um, you know, everything is run off of one um, outlet on the outside of our house for the electric fencing or one spigot for the watering, and we carry a lot of five-gallon wow. buckets. Um, especially in the winter time. I can relate so, to that. Yeah, I, again, not my favorite. Really looking forward to when we can put in some some plumbing into different parts of the area. But again, if you're starting out, be encouraged. There are those of us who've gone before you and and done a, you know, just off our 
muscles type homesteading. The physical labor, the manpower. Yes, yes a lot of that. Um, Absolutely. So yeah, so we started off with poultry because that's the entry level drug. We got our McMurray chicken order. Um, yes, <laughs> and uh, you know, can some relate. Of you, and some of you can relate too. I did not just get the egg layer package. I went through the whole catalog and picked and chose chickens based off of the egg color because I wanted to have a whole rainbow spectrum of red, blue, yes. green, pink, dark brown, the deep, deep chocolate brown. I wanted to do that. Um, which was not Dave Ramsey. <laughs> you don't pay more for the colors typically when they're buying your eggs. Um, but we actually discovered here in central Kentucky that the market for organic pastured free range eggs and other chicken products, the market here is actually saturated. So um, everyone has chickens, people give away eggs all the time. So me charging $4 at the time for organic eggs just was considered horrifically expensive which in today's market now i kind of laugh like that's yeah, really cheap it, it is compared to now um so we were looking at graduating from two-legged animals to four-legged animals and of course since we're homesteaders the next animal you must get according to the law of homesteading is goats uh don't know why i didn't make that law but that's the rule apparently <laughs> so um we'd had goat milk and I'm a big butter lover. My husband loves butter. And and the goat milk we had was from, I think, Sanin goats or Sanin or... Yeah, Sanin goats. Sanin. Sanin. Okay. I, uh-huh. I, uh, yeah, yeah. The, no, guy was, the name was Amish, so he didn't pronounce it right either. Um, <laughs> so we'd had that milk and it... it you know, it didn't taste terribly goaty for the first three days, but it was just very thin. The butter fat wasn't there. And so I have been researching a breed of goat with very high butter fat. And of course, there's Nigerian dwarfs. Um, but in my research, I came across San Clemente Island goats, which are listed as critically endangered on the Livestock Conservancy. And they are purported to have very high butter fat, like 12%. Wow, um, that's high. Yeah, very, very high. Um, you know, like I think it's 8 to 12%. It depends on the goat. Um, sure. There's just not a lot of research on them yet because they're so rare. Mm-hmm. But I was like, okay, those are goats. They've got, they've got high butter fat. They're endangered. So we're doing conservation as well. And we were all signed up to get a starter flock. Um, Sarah Howell, if you're listening, you still owe me goats. But she was in Australia in March of 2020 when March of 2020 happened. And yeah. I don't have goats and Sarah... But between the two, our starter flock went into the ether and then the lockdown started and everyone started panic buying toilet paper and pasta. Mm-hmm. And I've never been a groupie, so I did not panic buy toilet paper or pasta. I panic bought two sheep. Um, so my reasoning was we were going to get into four legged anyway. We needed a source of red meat in Kentucky. Everyone deer hunts. So that was that source of red meat was gone. Um, mm-hmm. And I knew that sheep could be a tripurpose animal for meat, milk, and wool. Sure. Um, so there were these, these two border lester sheep were there. And, you know, I, I don't I don't always wear my tin foil hat, but I do have one. So yeah, I wasn't same. sure I wasn't sure how far the wheels were gonna fall off at yep. that particular point in time. I mean, it was you know, it was kind of scary seeing these yeah. things happen in my country. And I had been to Eastern Europe on the mission field, like I had seen the residual effects of certain political agendas. And I just wasn't really sure how paranoid I needed to be. So I'm like, I need a sheep. 
because they're tri-purpose and they can eat just grass if they need to. And, you know, if nothing else, I can like grab a halter, put them on them and head to the hills and no one will see us. And we can just like wander around the mountains of Kentucky with wearing wool and drinking sheet milk. I don't know. I was in a bad place. So <laughs> my paranoia is entertaining at the very least. Um, so we got, we got these two sheep. They were border lusters and um, beautiful long wools. And I, I like to research the absolute boogers out of anything that I decide to do on the homestead or, or elsewhere. So mm -hmm. I was researching the border luster breed and they are predominantly raised for meat and wool. But I also would, would see in these little blurbs on these blogs or whatever that border lesters had historically been used for milk. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, who milks them? What were they doing with the milk? Like, I need more information. And there just wasn't any available at that point. Mm -hmm. So I started just kind of looking around for information on dairy sheep. And there just wasn't any. Like, there was one Facebook board at that point. I think there still is just one Facebook board called Homestead Dairy Sheep. Um, there was the Dairy Sheep of North America, Dasana group, but I was hoarding my money, so I didn't join that membership. Um, and that was more more of a conventional farming group. It's not really necessarily for small farmers. It's more for if you want to start an official sheep dairy. And that just didn't fit what I was looking for at that point. Um, so I joined the Dairy Sheep board and um, was just kind of looking around and seeing what people were doing. And my husband was like, you know, I really actually like sheep. I don't think I really want to go the goat route. If we have to, I prefer sheep. And I'm like, okay, cool. Let's get more sheep. So we got our stimulus checks and I know uncle Sam was intending for us to buy more sheep with the stimulus checks. Um, and so by the end of 2020, we had, uh, we had the two border lusters. We had um, two milk mutts. And then uh, because I had been on the livestock conservancy boards, I got four critically endangered Gulf Coast native sheep. Um, cool. so, so I didn't do what you're supposed to do when you start with a new you know, animal on the farm. You're supposed to like go to one spot and get one big group of the same kind and you like have this plan. This totally did not do that. Starter flock that's clean and organized and knows each other right. and is right. in a rhythm and together. And <laughs> yeah. Biosecurity, don't get them from different places. I went to so many different spots getting this little flock of sheep. And, um, I, you know, I that gave me a very interesting perspective on sheep because most people go and get, say, like, you know, four East Frisians, a ram and a weather and two ewes, or they get a starter flock of Icelandics or whatever. And so it's all the same breed, typically from the same farm, and they're going to have very similar milk production, butter fat amounts, you know, teats and udders and that kind of thing. Sure. Where I was thrift storing my flocks together, I was able to see a whole range of different breeds and personalities and udder types and butter fat content and milk volume. And um, when I would go on these sheep boards, no one else was really doing that. Hmm. Um, and so it was, it was shocking to me because I would say, oh, look, here's how much milk I got from my border lester, Sandra. And I would get all these comments going, Hey, can you send your milk in for testing? Because we're curious what the butterfat content is. Or we never heard of anyone milking a border lester. Or, you know, what was your steps in training the sheep? And I was going, I'm just bored, lonely, and scared right now because of lockdowns. <laughs> I'm not doing anything super duper spectacular, yep. but you know, it apparently was. And so, um, you know, I learned how to train feral sheep because our Gulf coasts are not very domesticated at all. 
And um, again, like I, I didn't think I was really starting something super special. I had had sheep milk on the mission field. Um, I'd had sheep milk cheese when I was overseas. And then when I was doing people group research in Louisville, and I just liked how it tasted. Um, I love spinning. I love knitting. I love crocheting. I was a fiber artist from a very young age. You know, I just, I wanted cheap craft supplies and good food that I knew was going to be dependable. And it turned out to be this really beautiful thing. And I just was like, okay, Jesus, I guess when I'm bored, you work mightily through me. Because <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. Um, so that, that's our story, um, getting into it. That's cool. So do you still have kind of a, like a spattering of different breeds in your flock? Or did you really narrow down in on one breed that you like and prefer? Oh, no, I added more breeds. After that, I, I have okay. a very, I have a very mixed flock. So my Gulf Coast natives are purebreds. Um, and I do have registered stock. So if people want purebred Gulf Coast native sheep that are registered, they know who they are. I do have those in my flock. Um, and I do keep those kind of separate when I breed. Um, but then yep. the rest of them are what I call milk mutts. Um, they're, they're, uh, they all have East Frisian in their background somewhere, typically. Um, but East Frisians are very expensive, very rare, and they're still in a breeding up program. So I actually I get people's culls typically when they're trying to get a higher percentage of the East Frisian genetics. Um, sure. so for, for those not for those who don't know what a breeding up program is, we can't import new sheep into our country at this point. So in order to get a new breed established, we have to import either semen or fertilized embryos from a different country and then artificially inseminate or basically do in vitro, um, or like IVF or whatever, mm -hmm. um, with these lambs, which as you can imagine is not cheap uh, because with sheep, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So with she and with sheep, it's not like a cow, like with a cow, you stick your arm up their mm -hmm. dairy. Know, <laughs> yeah. <Yep. laughs> their, their dignity and yep. um, squirt it and it hits home and a calf shows up about, you know, nine months later with sheep. There's, you have to give them, you know, hormone treatments. And I think, um, with the artificial insemination, it's not as complex as it used to be. But if you get a fertilized embryo, I think it's a minor surgery to implant it into the sheep's area. And so it's incredibly expensive with yeah. a very low success rate. Um, one shepherdess I knew did did the fertilized embryo procedure with, I think, six ewes and got one lamb out of it. Wow. And uh, she, yeah, she's That's like, that lamb is... Yeah, and she's like, that lamb is never leaving my farm. I'm like, dang it, because <laughs> I want right, her. But yeah, I can't sure. Afford her. I can't afford her. Um, so, you know, when these shepherds are looking into these breeding up programs, um, mm -hmm. there's a lot of upfront investment. So if you import semen, you find a, a local breed of sheep that's very similar to the one you're trying to create, essentially. And the resulting offspring of the semen, you know, local sheep combination, mm -hmm. that will be a 50% animal. Sure, okay. And then when then if that's a you, you would do the same thing with that you with other semen and the resulting offspring will I think be 75% and you just continue doing that till you have, I think 97% is then considered an American purebred of that sheep. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So I mean, that's like a really long time commitment, though. Yeah, with a lot of money. Yeah, they, right. they have to find breeders willing to find semen that they're willing to sell and ship frozen to the United States. Sure. 
So, I mean, you have to find another shepherd on a different, different country who hopefully speaks your language, who's willing to go do the nasty with their ram and get the semen and then bottle it correctly, freeze it and ship it to us, which probably means involving a vet there. Mm -hmm. And then it has to get shipped to a vet locally who can then do the procedure because this is not something that just you and I can Google and do. So. Which is unfortunate because so many homesteaders love Google and YouTube right. videos. <laughs> right, it's right. Like, so we're very at the core of every people. homesteader is yeah. the drive to do it themselves. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so to so to get these, so so that's the state of dairy sheep in America today. We have we have one cool. breed called the Coon Forest who is considered a dairy class sheep, and we do have a breed registry. We have what's considered purebreds of those here. So, um. If anyone listening to this milks their clune forests, please email me and tell me because I have not found anyone yet who is currently milking their clune forests. Um, <laughs> but they are a British breed of sheep. They're kind of an all-purpose sheep. They're known as the Jersey cow of dairy sheep, but they're very unknown. They're still considered rare by the Livestock Conservancy. Um, the most common one, East Frisian, which is kind of the Holstein of the dairy sheep, if you will. Okay. Um, yeah, they're they're very rare. Um, they're We've gotten to the point where our East Frisian, high percentage East Frisians do look like the ones in Europe, um, but they are not considered purebreds at this point and there's no breed registry. And the cheapest one I've found is $800. Wow. Yeah, which compared to my Gulf Coast natives, now granted this was four years ago, I my purebred registered, very desirable rams and use, the most expensive I paid was 300 for my Gulf Coast native. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's pretty compared $300. Yeah. I mean, well, goats, we have mm -hmm. goats, but the range in goats is anywhere from like, I mean, you can get, you know, barnyard mixed mutts, whatever, yeah. but even registered, like I've got a couple of registered goats that I got for like 250, but then I have another registered goat that was like almost $500. I don't know if my yeah. husband knows that it was that expensive though, I but either way, me. it's like <laughs> the, <laughs> the range of the, with goats is really expensive. So it sounds like the range yeah. with sheep is also like pretty expensive. Some of that, yeah. you know, a lot of that depends on like genetics yeah. or if there's for milk stars or, you know, how much milk vault the volume of milk they're providing right. and then their breed and stuff like that too but yeah like the there are some east frisians here in the united states who will give a gallon a day those are going to be really? over 1500 probably wow so how many goats or how many goats i'm sorry how many sheep are you milking like do you milk on the regular or do you not milk your sheep on the regular okay so for starters sheep typically lactate for six to eight months in the united states Mm -hmm, okay. So you automatically get a break in there, which we are currently in, which makes me sad because I miss my sheep milk. Um, yeah. So, so what we're doing on our farm is actually we breed our dairy mutts in the fall for a spring lambing, mm -hmm. and then milk those spring, summer, and into the fall. And then we're breeding our Gulf Coast natives in the spring for a fall slash winter lambing. So like we we switch them off that way. So we didn't we didn't get the math entirely right this year because I was pregnant and my husband was stressed. Um, and so our addition subtraction skills went down the toilet. So <laughs> we're having about yeah. a month break with, with our milk supply, which, you know, we'll survive. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have a flock of about 20 sheep. Um, five of those are rams because I wanted to have genetics on farm and with the Gulf Coast native, you want that genetic diversity. And also where the dairy sheep still are rare, I need genetics diversity there too. So I have three Gulf Coast native rams and then I have two 
um, dairy mutt rams, and then I have a weather, and he's kind of our little playground monitor. Um, yeah, so we we run a flock of rams, and they do they have become their established flock, um, which some people think having that many intact males is superfluous or dangerous. <laughs> but we found once they get over the initial, you know, who's the top ram. Uh, sparring, then they they kind of settle down into their own nice cohesive flock, and it makes them much more gentler and easy to work with. And they don't have the aggression or depression issues that you can get with sheep when they're isolated. Um, and then the rest are the rest in my tw- flock of twenty are ewes. So um, we have milked six ewes at a time this year. We're gonna I think have eight at okay. one point that we're milking, and we hand milk all of those. Um, so the other ewes that are not in that six to eight, you know, milker range are either older ewes that we're giving a break for their own health okay. or they're younger ewes that we are, you know, going to have as replacement ewes or just, you know, insurance to have in our flock. Right. So for down the road. Yeah. And do you like to wait? I know there's a lot and I, I, I do you wait a certain amount of time before you breed your smaller ones, like give them a full year before a year of maturity or before you breed them? I do. And yeah, if you want to start a fight with shepherds, go in and ask, do you wait or breed right away? And they're the yeah. wild west erupts. And I'm like, oh my gosh, guys, calm down. It's um, like that with goats too. Um, really, okay. and, yeah. Where some of them want to wait. Oh, well, they're sexually mature. They'll be large enough in stature to deliver by the time it's okay for them to deliver. Go ahead and breed them at six or seven months old. But right. then there's another school of thought that's no, you need to give them a full year of maturity at least before you breed them. And then there's like kind of a third group that I think that I'm probably a part of, but we don't have years and years of experience with goats where it's, it kind of depends on the size of the goat. Like, is it a very small goat? Are they larger? Like, does it make mm-hmm. sense to breed this goat? And that's kind of, I think the school of thought where I'm at, cause I've got a doling mm-hmm. that I'm going to breed because she's, she's big and she's, she's fine. Like she'll be fine in my mm-hmm. opinion. And so, mm-hmm. but it is, it's very like controversial. If you get in like a Facebook group and ask, it's dangerous territory at that point. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> you like, never know what'll happen. I know. It's like, do you spoon feed or baby fed weaning your child? I'm just curious. Oh, on a Facebook group. <laughs> oh that's a hard one too. And so many opinions. So, no, many, so many opinions. opinions. So many. It's, and it's hard to just say, Hey, I'm just curious. I just want to know what you all right. think. Someone's like, Rawr. so anyway, back yeah. to sheep. Um, <laughs> so what we've noticed with our flock, and this is just our, you know, watching our sheep is that when the sheep are bred in their first year um i have very healthy stock so they are able to carry to term and deliver without assistance and they mother those lambs very well uh semicolon Mm -hmm. the long-term health of that ewe is compromised she's going to be more prone to parasites she's gonna be more prone to mastitis she's going to just be an overall weaker ewe um the other thing is that her udder is not going to develop to its full capacity um it will be smaller the teats will be smaller it won't it won't be as soft and the letdown won't be as easy the ewes that we have waited to breed um longer term are healthier they grow taller they have larger udders they have you know more easily handled teats um they have bigger milk supply and they're more parasite resistant. Um, I have two Gulf Coast natives who are sisters and the one is an absolute hussy. She cleared two fences to get in with a ram and then jumped <laughs> back. So I wouldn't know. <laughs> the proverbial teenager. So she, 
<laughs> I'm very irritated at her about that, by the way. <laughs> so, um, so she had a lamb and the, the lamb was actually born crippled because she didn't have enough room in her womb. Now that doesn't address what you're saying, where they grow large enough. Like if they're big enough, that wouldn't have been an issue in her was. However, her udder is square hmm. and she has, she has jelly bean teeth and she has the worst letdown. I have to massage her udder three or four times during milking. It is an absolute pain in whatever appendage you want to pick. Sure. Um, she's a great mother, great parasite resistance, no issues lambing, no issues mothering. She's perfect. Her sister, um, we waited till she was two and a half just because of how things happened. And her udder is gorgeous it has great placement great shape her teats are large and we can hand milk her beautifully hmm. um and you know she has no issue lambing she has no issue coming into term she's a she kind of hides from her ram she had her first lamb this year and she hid it from that ram lamb and he was huge and i think that did speak to how easy her milk came out because he was sure. like he was the youngest one and he shot he grew so fast we had to pull him off like because he was just growing so fast and it, was, it wasn't good for her hmm, so sure. In, in our observation, we've just noticed if we wait, it's good for the long-term health for our flock. Now, I do know shepherds where they're landlocked. They don't have that much space. Um, they've got the genetics they want. And so they're, they breed the first year. And then within four years, they're culling those ewes just because they have to keep the, the animals moving. Wow. They just don't have enough land. And they're raising their own meat, too. So it's really no skin off their nose if, like, a ewe can only make sure. it to year four. They eat her. They've got another one raising up. And that's fine that's just not my management style um yeah. they're making a lot less and it's more of a addition to the other products which is the meat not mm -hmm. the main thing whereas in my yeah. case the meat is more of a byproduct and the milk is the main thing for me yeah nope absolutely i can completely understand that but it is interesting to hear the other perspective Mm -hmm. where you know it's kind of a very utilitarian or an industrial mindset when it comes to yeah. like maintaining their flock and right. i i think that we don't hear about that side of things as often mm -hmm. there's like such an emotional attachment to the idea of like yeah. keeping and raising animals and i think that's great but it's right. also really interesting to see and hear about the other perspective where people are like no a little bit more utilitarian a little bit more right. industrial and like that's also fine but it's like you said people have different intents and purposes with like the mm -hmm. way they raise their herd of sheep or their herd of goats or their flock of chickens or whatever it is like and well, um, i don't name my chickens i mean my chickens like i look them dead in the eye and i say you are a little too tasty for that kind of attitude shape up or else <laughs> you know absolutely <laughs> Absolutely. All my sheep have names. I know. I know every sheep's name. I know what their ba is. Like I can tell you if I hear a sheep ba in the house, I'll say, "Kyle, that's Sally. You got to go check her because she doesn't make that ba unless something's wrong." And he's like, "What? Okay, sure." And sure enough, something will be wrong. You know, you just you you have yeah. your things. The, the cow, I'm like, she she moves. She eats grass. She's got great fertilizer. But my husband, like, they're they're buddies. He and the cow. Mm -hmm. So I mean, I think different people have affinities for different animals. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. She hand sews chicken aprons for her girls for when the rooster gets a little too, you know, Aww, randy. And sure. they all have names. And I'm like, that's beautiful. I'm not there. So, you know. With your flock, with you milking your goats, or I need to stop saying that. It's just like okay. rolls off of my tongue. I need to. I've had people it's correct me, actually. When I say, oh, I've got to go milk my sheep, they, they'll look at me and say, oh, you mean your goats. And I'm like, no. No, Actually, I know sheep. what species I'm getting milk from. Thank you for asking. It, yeah. It's a sheep. I promise. I promise it's a sheep. 
<laughs> so are you milking your sheep multiple times a day? Like, do you, are you a morning and evening milking or do you just milk once a day? And then how much milk do you typically get? And then do you really use your milk like multi-purpose or is it pretty much just for drinking? Okay. You just covered three chapters of my book. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I want to talk about your book here too, but uh, anyways, that's just, that's, I feel like when we think about like having a dairy animal, those are yeah. the three common questions. How often do you have to milk it? How much yeah. milk are you getting? And what can I use it for besides just drinking? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, okay. So we did our first year, we did try to milk twice a day, exactly 12 hours apart. Mm -hmm. every single day the exact same 12 hours section because you know we we grew up hearing about you know dairy farms in wisconsin with holsteins that were fed and milked within an inch of their existence and so yes. i think there's this common misconception that if you are milking a you have no life b you have to milk twice a day c you it has to be at exactly the same time exactly 12 hours apart every single day monday through sunday no exceptions and this is why all dairy farmers are miserable in the united states amen and i would just <laughs> like to tell you all that that is not true so um <laughs> So we did that our first year and we got burnt out. We were like, they make milk at the grocery store. Why are we doing this to ourselves? And so our, yeah. our Amish friend actually pulled us aside one day and he's like, you know, you can milk once a day. And we're cool. like, what? And he's like, yeah, just milk them once a day. And we're like, you, you can? He's like, yeah, sure. I do it with all my jerseys all the time. And we're like, well, if you can do it with jerseys, we sure as heck can do it with sheep. So yeah. um, you do get slightly less milk in the long run, like over that milking season, if you milk once a day, and I'm, I'm peace of mind and a social life is worth a little less milk. Yeah, in my opinion. absolutely. Uh, I mean, I'm milking six to eight sheep. I have enough. I, I'll, I can handle a few less tablespoons. It'll be okay. So yeah. Um, with the Gulf Coast native there where they're very primitive, if I pull the lambs off, so that I get all the milk, they will actually start drying up. Um, they need that biofeedback from the lamb saliva. So with the Gulf Coast, I learned I really needed to leave the lambs on during the day and I pull them at night. So yep. the lambs are off at night and I milk the ewes in the morning and then I'll let them have them the rest of the day. Yep. Um, we actually did the opposite of that. We left the lambs on their mothers at night and then had, had them separate during the day this last year because I was pregnant. My husband was doing all the milking and his schedule didn't allow sure. for it. Let's do it the other way. So, I mean, that being said, like we, we switched the same sheep and the same flock from one schedule to the other, from one year milking to the other milking. And for my husband's in emergency services, sometimes we have to change schedules pretty quickly with our flock in the middle of the year, which is not our favorite, but this is what we do to keep our community safe. So, um, as <laughs> we jerk sheep's schedules around. Um, so, you know, the, the nice thing is, you know, you find what works for you, you know, for mamas who have exclusively breastfed their babies. I mean, you know what it's like when you go traveling, your schedule's all out of whack, you know, you're not really comfortable and you want to make sure you don't get sick, but you can do it. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to hurt the baby. And the same is very true for dairy animals as well. So I would say I was very, very, very careful to make sure I bought use with great mothering instincts. I talk to the shepherds and got sheep from healthy flocks. Mm -hmm. I give my sheep a ton of herbs and supplements and minerals and very nutrient dense 
forage i plant i plant for uh, herbs for them i get really really expensive minerals i don't buy minerals from the feed store i do give them kelp you know they have free access to kelp um mm-hmm. so you know i'm not neglecting or abusing them or doing it on the cheap like you know yep. if you're going to expect a lot from your animals like they're forgiving and flexible you're going to have to make it worth their while and you're going to have to make it possible for them so you know i i am not eating mcdonald's three to five or 12 times a week. Yep. Ever, but especially not breastfeeding my baby. The same is true for your animals. Like if you're going to give them a crappy pasture, no or cheap minerals, you're not going to have vitamins and supplements and that kind of stuff available to them if they need it. Mm-hmm. I would not recommend you expect your animals to be that flexible with their milking schedule because it is sure. a stress on their system. So, um, so, so for example, like with, with official like industrial dairy farms, Mm-hmm. where they're feeding them corn and soy and they're trying to get every single drop of milk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have to be on that strict of a schedule because those poor udders and cows are not flexible. They can't yep. adjust to something different being thrown at them. Um, yeah. But I'm not doing that to my sheep. I don't feed them corn and soy. I'm not trying to ooze every drop of milk out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I keep them really healthy because for me, a front end investment is worth the long-term returns of health. Um, Absolutely. So that's my philosophy. Not everyone has that, and that's mm-hmm. fine. Um, they won't like my book. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I think that's nice though. And when you it setting up the way you're you're set up with your sheep, it's a little bit more time. It's a little bit more money. A lot of bit more money. The investment up front to give them what they need is more upfront. But the long term payout, especially when it comes to like you're saying, their milk production, but their long term health, their ability to be more parasite resistant, have mm-hmm. that richer, more healthy like vitality. Mm-hmm. is way worth it in the long run. And that's when we got into goats, that was my mindset getting into goats. I didn't want to just get a herd of goats and then kind of retroactively figure out what was the best way to go about their care. But there, I mean, there was a learning curve, of course, too. Oh, I yeah, didn't, like, absolutely. Yeah, you can do it perfectly or anything. Yeah, the animals do not read the books, just so everyone's clear. Like, <laughs> right, exactly. My sheep did not have stories guide to raising sheep. They did not have Pat Colby's natural sheep care. Like, they did not care at one point. I'm like, yep. you guys, the book said this would work, and it's not working right now. Why not? <laughs> But it's like things like antibiotics and vet visits, those are all expensive. So my mentality was really like, if I can approach this from a holistic perspective and Mm -hmm. I can have some, you know, good minerals, kelp, like you're saying, all of these things to hopefully help them fight off whatever it is they could be exposed to or give them a more robust immune system and Mm -hmm. help them to be more parasite resistant and all these things will help out in the long run. And then I was doing a ton of reading on like, what are holistic remedies for fighting common ailments? with all of my livestock, not just my goats, but chickens and all that stuff too. Um, It ends up being cheaper than the antibiotics and the vet visits and all of those things that you end up potentially needing down the road anyways. Right. And I mean, we have a really good relationship with our local veterinarian. Actually, we're, we're, kind of ridiculously blessed in our area we have we have access to three vets in our area who are all you know farm and small ruminant trained so yeah we are so blessed because I have a friend she has to import a veterinarian from like four hours away and has to schedule has to come to her farm like there's no 911 vet in her area so we're very blessed semicolon it's a $75 fee just to have him step on my farm that's not looking at the animal that's not you know diagnosing that's not treating them that's just to drive his car and park it on my property so yeah you know and 
I can take my sheep to the vet if I need to, but that's a whole nother <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, that's a whole other so, thing. I like my vets. I think they're great people. They have more training than I do. They're very helpful. I mean, I have not yet met a veterinarian that I go, gosh, they're a jerk. I never want to see them again. They're usually really great people. Mm-hmm. They're expensive. So, yeah. I mean, and they have the training they need. They need paid for what they're trained for. And that's great. Of but course. as a homesteader, I would like to use those pennies on buying more books personally, not, <laughs> not staying a veterinarian. Sure. So, you yeah. know, I think, I am not 100% opposed to seeing a veterinarian or using antibiotics or using whatevers. I just want that to be the last option for number mm-hmm. one, my pocketbook, and number two, for their gut flora and mine. I mean, if you give your yeah. animal an antibiotic, it's going to cure them of the initial ailment, but it will weaken their system long term if you Immensely. do not go back and rebuild that gut flora and rebuild the overall system. So, you know, yeah. this can be a whole nother tangent in antibiotics if we want it to be. I think they are useful and I think they are necessary sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, antibiotic herbs can be just as useful or detrimental as a chemical antibiotic. Um, yeah. You know, if, if my five month old has an ear infection and a lung infection, hey, guess what? I'm using an antibiotic. Now afterwards, mm-hmm. I'm going to try to rebuild his gut flora. Yeah. Um, same true for sheep and all the other animals on my property. So, I mean, you know, as you as a homesteader, for those listening, need to decide what your philosophy is. Um, you know, if you just automatically, the sheep has the sniffles, you grab an antibiotic, you dose them up, that's going to cause some effects that would be different than if you take a slower, more gentler approach. And sometimes you can't take the slower approach because the animal is yeah. that sick. Sheep tend to hide their ailments. You're not gonna catch it in time. You know, Mm -hmm. and your choice will be either you treat them or you lose them. And sometimes you will still lose them. So there's my little rant on (laughs) on, on the ground. Have you lost any sheep before? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, we've lost several sheep. Um, I think this year we only have lost one lamb who was weak. um, And we had had a huge flare-up in coccidia that we didn't know was happening at that point um we lost the yeah. ewe lamb and then we lost our entire gosling flock actually to coccidia um really yeah it it was a bad year several people were losing poultry left and right um so yeah it was it was really a shame because our our goslings had just gotten to where they were fully feathered and they all looked like little swans and we oh both, no right oh. over that we had buyers for them too and i had to say i'm so sorry they bit the dust literally that's um, too bad yeah so it, it you know, everyone's like have you had homestead failures i'm like oh how long yes. Have you <laughs> <laughs> yes yes if you get in if you get livestock you will get dead stock that's yes. just part of it so preach it um I think, you know, the first year when we bought our flock in, we didn't lose any sheep, but we nice. we have lost a sheep, you know, at least one every year since then. Um, and the main thing we lose them from is parasites, which is, I mean, if you're going to get into sheep, it is going to be an ever-evolving thing if you're learning what your sheep and your property and your parasite uh, population require mm-hmm. for a symbiotic relationship because all sheep have parasites, all goats have parasites. I hate to break it to you folks. All people have parasites. The problem all is people you have parasites. Yes. Which I don't want to think about <laughs> personally, but I know, I know it's true. So, you know, the problem is when they have an overgrowth um, and we have been learning what the, 
weather pattern and climate patterns are in our area for the parasites to spike. And then, then coccidia is a, I can't remember if it's a, if it's a nematode or a parasite or a, or a, it's some kind of beastie. It's not, it's not mm -hmm. like your typical gut worm. It's something different, but I mean, there's just a couple, you know, sheep are very tasty. Lots of things like to eat sheep, both macro and micro like to eat sheep. So learning, I was mainly concerned with predators when I first got my sheep and yeah. I really did not need to actually be that worried in my area about predators. My main issue is parasites. So I didn't want to use chemical wormers just because I didn't want the residue in the milk. Um, and then the research I did said that there was a much more longer withdrawal time than even the bottles are saying. And so I was trying to do things very, very, very uber naturally. And that works if you are consistent and on top of it and you know the, what to look for. And sure. I just didn't, I just yeah. didn't ever. So, and then we had to learn a couple of things like we use goat copper boluses on our sheep, mm -hmm. which, you know, at the time when we started caused shepherds to just throw back their hands and howl, you're going to kill your sheep with copper toxicity. But the research is starting to show that that actually is a viable parasite management if you yeah. use proper dosages so you know we learned about that we learned about herbs and homeopathy and diatomaceous earth which is yeah. i mean it's helpful it's not a fail safe but what i was learning is you know what i was reading was if you just use this one thing they'll be fine yeah. that's not true um you need a multi-attack plan for dealing with mm -hmm. parasites um you know i thought well we're rotationally grazing and that'll be fine well you cannot base a sheep rotational grazing style off of the cow rotational grazing style with cows uh, you can yeah. move them much less they can eat the grass much lower than the sheep i was letting my sheep graze to the ground because i thought that's what you were supposed to do with sheep the homunculus contortus which is barber pole worm which is my biggest enemy right now they okay. will live four inches and down on a blade of grass huh. so so if your grass is above four inches, then you're fine. I was letting my sheep graze the grass down to ground level. So they were getting a good four inches of homunctus contortus. So, Boy. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, it's my husband's schedule. Sometimes we wouldn't move them for a week. You can get away with that with cows. You cannot do, I mean, if you're going to do the grass, but as the only parasite management, you need to move those girls twice a day, every day. I was letting the ground rest between three to four weeks. You need to let it rest for four, for eight weeks with sheep. So, you know, the, hmm. I was going off a cow model because that's the information I had. And with sure. my research and talking to other shepherds, it's like, oh, no, no, this is different. You have to do it completely different if rotational grazing mm -hmm. is your only parasite management system in place. So that sure. was that was a whole year of learning curve for me was just the rotational grazing as a parasite management. So, you know, that's wild, wild. Yeah, yeah, there was there was a lot. There was a steep learning curve <laughs> with that one. No so talk to me just a tiny bit about, or as much as you want to, it doesn't have to be a tiny bit, just about how you use your sheet milk. And then I want to get into your book stuff, but I know that our listeners are going to love to hear about kind of how you use your sheet milk. Sure. So short answer right now, I've only drunk it um, just okay. because it's so good. It's so, so good. Um, it's known as the champagne of milks. It has- I did not know that. Yes, it has two to three times the butter, fat, protein, and fat as all the other milks. Um, it has way more minerals, way more vitamins. And so honestly, when it's like the height of our nasty, sticky, humid, can't breathe, you feel like you're in Satan's armpit, Kentucky summers. Mm -hmm. 
I'm trying to hold back how I feel about it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, summer me, like I just, I get overheated rather quickly. So once I get hot, like I just stay hot the rest of the day. And I grew up in the Southwest where if you sweated, you got cooler because it evaporated and it cooled you down. That is not work here in the South where it's humid already. So your sweat is just joining the party of moisture in the air. It doesn't go anywhere. So anyway, um, <laughs> so I don't like to eat a lot in the summer because it's just too hot. I don't want to digest. It's I don't want to make anything hot. We will just have a nice quart of sheet milk and that's our dinner. So we'll sit nice. on the front porch. It's after dinner. It's after dark. The fireflies are out. It's it's not quite as oppressively hot. Nice cold quart of sheet milk. Sip it slow. That's our dinner. We wake up full the next morning. Um, so I have made yogurt with it. I have made mm-hmm. butter with it. And mm-hmm. it is phenomenal with both. Uh, I have a friend. She got on sheet milk because of the sheet milk ice cream. Um, which is also delicious. If you nice. use just the sheet milk for your ice cream, it's mm-hmm. kind of like a sherbet in the texture. But then if you add the cream to it, it's like it's like custard. It's so good. Um, so, so, so good. Uh, I did accidentally make feta with it once, and that was amazing. <laughs> because uh, you left it in the back of the fridge too long? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's like Been there. all the were on the bottom. There was like 12 inches of whey. And I was like, well, snap, what do I do with you? And I was yeah. like, I'm going to learn how to make feta now. Yes. <laughs> so um, that was delicious. I am. Um, so funny story. Um, I went into labor two weeks early with my son and I was just I, I was both in denial and had that I'm in labor must clean house urgency. And oh, I had no. three. I had three gallons of sheet milk in the freeze in the fridge. And I was like, oh my gosh, because I was gonna separate it into cream and skip milk. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I'm in active labor because I went from zero to 90 in two seconds flat. My body did not read the Bradley book of natural childbirth, did not have the gentle, you know, waiting. How dare it. <laughs> yeah, no, my body's like, oh, we're gonna have the kid now. Vroom. So I'm like in the kitchen, getting these three gallons out, going to contractions, breathing slowly, texting my friends, not my husband, going, hey, I think I'm in labor. Please pray. And they're like, is Kyle on his way? Is he coming? Are you going to the hospital? What are you doing? I'm like, oh, no, I haven't told him. I don't want to stress him out. I have to separate these three gallons of sheep milk first. Because, no. You know, and my friend Sophie's still mad at me about that, by the way. She's like, go take a shower, take a nap, lay down breast. You're going to need it. I'm like, no, no. Must get separate sheep milk and then load the dishwasher. Um so, <laughs> that is so good. I love that so yeah, much. That's no, hilarious. Mama's moment, right? Um, so yes. my husband actually brought the cream of the sheet milk cream to the hospital. And for for those of you who've given birth, I don't know if this is every woman, but quite a few women. Like you have the baby, you have the baby high, you go to sleep, you wake up the next morning, and you're like, I can't do it. I can't do this motherhood thing. I can't. I can't do this at all. I'm exhausted. I can't be a wife. I quit everything. Like just yeah. let's rewind. And I had that moment and my nurse came in and she knew instantly what was going on. So she sat down, she talks to me, she works through it with me. I mean, she was very reassuring. Like she, she knew exactly what was going on. And she looks at me and she goes, did you bring your sheep cream? And I said, yeah, she goes, drink some. And I took that pint and I sipped it because it's cream. It's thick. It's like custard at that point. Mm-hmm. I chugged that whole pint 
in like a minute. Like my husband was shocked because he's like, I can't get through a gulp of that stuff. It is so thick. Your body needed it. I felt so much, but I felt great after that. I felt happy again. I felt excited. Like baby glues were instantaneous gone, last about three hours. And I'm like, give me another one. And <laughs> so, you know, so it was, it really was a, a something my body really needed. Well, um, my husband, my son had jaundice. I had a far harder recovery postpartum than I had ever That's thought hard. possible. Um, so we forgot about the gallon of skim milk of the sheep stuff in the, in the outside refrigerator. Sure. Um, and so we, f- we found it three months later. Um, oh, no. yeah. And so it had really, 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 really separated. So yeah, I, uh, I poured the way off, which wasn't hard and for those of you who deal with raw milk you know what that means um i mean it it was like all the butter all the proteins had settled into a hard mass at the bottom of the jar and then it was just clearly above so poured off the whey made beet cloths for my husband out of that because sheep whey has three or four times all the good stuff as cow whey does so it's it's a you know super food in and of itself and um i I put the curds into a cheesecloth and let that strain overnight. And then I put that in a cheese press with a lot of salts. Mm-hmm. And so this it's, it's hard skim milk, sheep cheese, and it makes the best grating cheese for salads. And really? so, yeah, I mean, so even if it's quote bad, unquote, yeah. or spoiled, you can still kind of use it for, I don't know how I'm going to write a recipe out of that. Like my friend <laughs> says it needs to be childbirth cheese. And I'm like, I don't yeah. think... <laughs> I don't think David Asher is going to want to put that in his next book. Um, no, so. doesn't make it sound edible. <laughs> no, I mean, that's like, what weird, <laughs> you know. But boom. that's the thing about, like, raw milk always yeah. turn always, most of the time, most of the time, always yeah. turns into the next best thing. Yeah. And that's the truth. You know, milk from the store, spoils, bad, gone, needs thrown out. Yes. But if you have this raw milk, it's like, God knew what he did when he was making it because yeah. it literally just turns into something else that can be nutritious and wonderful and beneficial. So, yeah. 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 And, and that's the thing that when I first started getting into raw milk, that was the kind of learning, learning curve shock for me was that, you know, milk from the store, you know, I would, I would pull a gallon of milk out of the refrigerator, open the cap and then sniff it. You like, you always sniffed it to see if it had started rotting. But with raw yes. milk, yes. I never worry about that. The only question is, has it started to ferment and it will taste a little tangier in my coffee or tea? Right. And then do I just turn it into something else after that? Or is it fresh and sweet? I mean, it's not a concern of, is this rotten or not? Is it, yes. It's just, what has the chemistry done to change right now? Absolutely. Um, my, yeah. We were out of town in Tennessee, actually, just recently, and then came back uh, to the area. And so we had a couple quarts of milk that were in the fridge from before we left. And when we came back, my daughter poured it into her cereal. And she goes, it tastes like there's yogurt in my milk. And I was like, well, it started to turn. And so that's what we did, just made yogurt with it. Yeah. Um, but it's like, it wasn't this whole like, oh, it tastes rotten. It tastes terrible. She like finished her cereal and mm-hmm. was like, oh, it tasted like there was yogurt in my cereal. You yeah. know, it's just interesting. Yeah. That's, I don't know. Yeah, that's yeah, really cool. Good. And it's cool your daughter could recognize that. Yeah. Like she wasn't yeah. like, oh, no, it tastes yucky. I don't want it. It was like, oh, it's just yogurt. Let's just on the go. Yeah. Thankfully. So. Hopefully that palate stays for forever. <laughs> right? <laughs> I know. I 
I'm curious what my son will think and observe as he gets older because you know most of my friends they buy the homestead after the kids are born and they get the animals after the kids are you know they're old enough to remember but with him he's never going to know anything different so i'm just curious what that's going to be like so we did a lot of baby led weaning with our kids Mm -hmm. and part of that was just giving them what we were eating my husband and I and Mm -hmm. you know in in a form that they were able to eat it you know in small enough fits or whatever and that's always just kind of been the philosophy like our kids have always just eaten what we've eaten and there's certain foods that they don't like but there's certain foods I don't like either it's not because they're picky it's just because they don't prefer that food and that's fine and understandable but right I just think it was because we always took like this really relaxed mentality about food with the kids and it wasn't like mm-hmm. specific baby food and specific toddler food. And so they kind of right. grew up with this idea that they were supposed to eat like some specific food that wasn't grown up food. They just always ate what we ate and that's same. And they're yeah. not picky eaters and they have very like adventurous palates, people say, but it's just like, yeah. they just eat what everybody else is eating. Oh yeah. So, I mean, my husband like that. Yeah. My, my son just turned five months yesterday and the week before we were at Homesteaders of America, my friend made us a duck dinner. And so we're eating all these duck legs and we're enjoying it. And, and Nathaniel was furious that he was not involved. Furious. <laughs> I mean, he's making a grab for everyone's duck leg. And you know, we, we didn't have a high chair there. So we're just playing past the baby at the sure. table and he's trying to grab everyone's duck legs. And we're like, no, you can't have it. This is ours. So the next day at yep. breakfast, he was like, by golly, I'm eating what you are eating. And he just faced <laughs> my husband's oatmeal. And we were oh. like, well, I guess we're doing this now. So That's right. He let week. you know. Oh, he let me know. I was like, I was going to wait till six months. And he's like, I don't think so. We're doing it now. No. I was like, yeah. you know what? Whatever. You're ready. I don't. I'm, he was I'm not born ready. a little early. He's ready to eat a little early. Exactly. So. Cool. So tell us about your book. So you recently published a book. I ordered it. It's coming. I was hoping it was going to be here for today, but it's not. It's going to be here tomorrow, but I'm really excited (laughs) to read it. I'm really, really excited. (laughs) I'm sure it is. Tell us all about it. Tell us how wonderful it is. I'm really excited to hear more about it. Awesome. All right. So it's kind of a fun story how this all happened. Um, so we're we're big homesteaders of America people. Um, we love that organization. We love Amy Fuel. Um, I know a couple of the board members, and we're really good friends. So if cool. you don't like Homesteaders of America, just don't tell me and walk on. Um, no. <laughs> love them so much. Yeah, they're they're real. They're legit an answer to prayer. Um, so we we went in 2021 our first time, and that was the first time we'd ever been around a group of like-minded people um that in like that ticked off so many boxes like we had friends who were christians but they weren't homesteaders and they were kind of like why do you have a gun or they were homesteaders but they were not christians um or you know my husband has his you know fellow brothers in blue so you know very pro second amendment you know manly men police officers you know, darken the door of a church occasionally, but why do you have all these animals? And so we went to HOA. It was like all three boxes got checked at once in this group of people. And we were like, wow. So we were just like, okay, these are our people. So we went back the next year as vendors and Mm -hmm. I had wool from my sheep and I had sheep milk soap and that's what I was going to sell. And I was, that was like my first big event where I'm like trying to establish this homestead business. Um, and 
my friend was giving a talk on on wool sheet for the homestead um so i went to her talk just to support her and in her presentation she just casually mentioned you can have sheep for milk as well and then moved on back to wool well during the question section half the questions were on sheep dairy and both she and i were shocked because we're like where are all these questions on sheep milk coming from because neither like i had talked about milking my sheep she had tried my sheep milk and we're like you know, cool, one more use for sheep. This is awesome. Like, sure. we, we just love sheep. We wanted them to become more popular. Mm-hmm. But um, it wasn't something where we were like, this is going to be the next trend in the homesteading world. It was just, <laughs> we want people to have the love of sheep that we do. And yeah. so all these other people are asking questions and we're like, what is happening? So at the, so she finally looks at me and I nod and she goes, okay, that's Rachel Hester. If you have sheep milk questions, go ask her. And I'm like, and I hope I can answer them because <laughs> that was before I knew I knew as much as I did. Um, yeah. So half the questions were for me, like at, at the end. And, you know, they were a couple on wool, but most of them were for me and sheep milk. And the rest of the weekend, people kept coming to our booth asking about sheep milk. And my husband finally looks at me and he's like, what did you do? He's like, did you do upstage Casey at her talk? I'm like, no, she told me. She told me to do this. It's not my fault. And um, and so he's like, uh, okay. So we're trying to answer these questions that are just coming, you know, over and over and over and over. Well, I had actually found out that day I was pregnant. We didn't know before then. So we're like kind of reeling from that information as well. And wow. uh, yeah, which I just, I just love that we found out we were pregnant at Homesteaders of America because that just was so special for so many reasons for us. We didn't know we could have kids. And then Aww. it was just this huge blessing in this place with so many people who were like-minded and loved us and were just so happy with us. So anyway, so wow. we're like, we're excited. We're overjoyed. I've got morning sickness. I thought it was food poisoning. And then I'm like, oh no, it's not a, <laughs> it's not a bacteria. It's a baby. No, yeah, it's so much better. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was better. I still feel like I'm going to hurl. And this guy comes into my booth. And I mean, he is just interrogating me about dairy sheep. And I'm going, I am smarter than this. I promise you. It's just I'm pregnant. And so I don't really know how to answer you, sir. And so I'm doing my best. And he finally is just like, okay, I'm, I can tell you're tired. I'm sorry. Where's your book? And I was really? like, yeah. And I was like, what? And he's like, well, you clearly have a book on this, right? And I'm like, no, nope, no, not no, I don't. And, and he's like, okay, well, a pamphlet then? I'm like, not that either. And he's like, a class? Do you have a blog? And I, I had literally started a blog a week before and had okay. talked about knitting on it. And he's like, that's not good enough. I want sheep milk. And so he's just like, you know, we, I, I need information lady. And so I'm like, well, here's my business card, like email me. I'll try to let you know when I know some more about this book that I sure. apparently need to write. Um, so he leaves. And I mean, you know, if he's listening, cause I don't even know who this guy was. I mean, he was very kind and whatever. I just was so shocked at how sure. vehement he was like, I need your knowledge lady. And I'm like, I, okay, I will give it to you. I just didn't know you wanted it. Sure. And so he leaves and my husband looks at me and he's like, well, you know, you've always wanted to write, like, and you're a really great writer. And I was like, well, you know, Beth Daughtery, or I think that's how you say her name, you know, mm-hmm. she has your book, but then she has these little pamphlets that she sells at her booth for like five bucks a piece. And he's like, yeah, you could do that over a weekend. And I was like, sure, I'll just write a little pamphlet over a weekend. I'll sell it for five bucks on my website. And then Janet Garman goes, 
oh, well, actually, I happen to be starting a publishing company. Would you like to write a full book for my publishing company? And I was like, you know, I'm pregnant. I'm going to have a baby in, you know, a couple of months. Why not just write a book on top of it? So now's the perfect time. Exactly. (laughs) So it took her a little bit to get the legal things of the of the publishing company sorted so when we signed the contract i was two days into my second trimester and she goes you need to get everything in before the baby comes because she was wise and knew that postpartum is a huge monster no one talks about and i was a young new mother who had no idea postpartum was this huge monster no one talks about and she's like she's like can you get the manuscript in before you have the baby and i was like Oh, sure, I can get this in in three, you know, six months. No problem. So for the entire pregnancy, I am banging out this manuscript. And me being me, I didn't just write, you know, a condensed version of what I know. I would write and then realize, oh, wait, I need to know this. I need to know that. So I actually interviewed a lot more dairy shepherds and got their perspectives. And I was able to find a there's a lot of research happening right now with sheep milk overseas that I wasn't aware of. Like they're researching in India of mm. using it as infant formula replacement instead of soy and corn milk. Um, I don't even want to call it milk because it's not milk. So, yeah, that would be revolutionary. And to do something like that would just blow Americans' minds. Yeah. Well, they're keeping it very hush-hush. Like, I had to go onto this website that was like any any researcher in the globe can publish it. But if it was just American sites and American research, there was nothing. It was like, hmm. cheap milk has more minerals and vitamins. We're not going to tell you which ones or how many or who they're for. But when I went onto this website for overseas research, mm-hmm. it was like they're studying it for cancer patients. They're using it in studies for Alzheimer's patients. They're using it as infant replacement or formula replacement, formula replacement for infants overseas in third world countries. They're studying women with low milk supply and they're drinking sheep milk and they're studying the probiotics in the human breast milk after drinking sheep milk. And it's just, wow, it's really amazing food. I, and I couldn't fit all of it into the book, obviously, because Janet sure, told me I write an encyclopedia, which I don't know why not, but, um, <laughs> that's your next project. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, it, it really is a healing food and it, you know, if it was an herb, it would be called an adaptogen because it really does help the human body self heal. Um, so hopefully you don't get censored for me saying that because it's true. Um, no, no. And it's interesting, just as a side note, and I work in healthcare, I'm a nurse practitioner, but I work in Western medicine, like in a hospital, but I'm very holistically minded. And yeah. so when you're talking about like adaptogens and probiotics and all of these things, I'm just like, preach, 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 preach. You know, it's, <laughs> it's so 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 huge and so important so anyways keep going yeah and i just you know when you when you enter into this i I feel like everyone in this world has suffered or knows someone dear to them who has suffered a huge health crisis that allopathic medicine can't address Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so then once you start learning why allopathic medicine fails you go holy freaking schmoly we don't know diddly squat but how the human body works or how nutrition works or how things work and then we've got the freaking you know overlords saying don't listen to anyone who says that your microbiome affects your immune system because they're wrong like they're wrong right and it's like that's not that's just not true so anyway yeah that's a whole squirrel (laughs) but but still but so valuable so important yeah yeah so i did all this research about the the nutritional components of the sheep milk 
Um, and I, I didn't want to get too terribly nerdy into it because I wanted this to be really accessible for the everyday homesteader who's like, you know, I don't care what the chemical makeup of sheep milk is. I just want to know how to get really yummy milk from sheep. So I do sure. have a whole chapter on the nutritional components of sheep milk. I didn't get it to go into all of the really nerdy things that I found out. Um, but I will probably start doing a blog series on that just so people want that information, they can find me. it. Um, and then, <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll email you. Um, me. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, I, I did, I was going to have a chapter on recipes because Janet's like, you have to have recipes. Like people are going to want the recipes. So mm -hmm. um, me being me, I started doing the research and I looked at my page count one day and went, oh, snap. I'm at 40 pages and I've only covered a third of the recipes I found. So I called her. I'm like, what do you want me to do? And she goes, pick your four favorite, put the rest in the file. That's book two. Nice. And she built like, recipe book. Yes, exactly. Which, which is important because most people who tried to do sheep cheese in America will just take cow milk, cow milk recipes and try to swap for sheep milk. And you actually can't okay. do that because sheep milk has such high butter fat and high protein, but it has the lowest amount of lactose of all the milks. So, oh, okay, yeah. so the fermentation is different with a sheep milk cheese and with an, a cow or a goat milk cheese. So that I actually had to, yeah. So I actually had to go overseas for a lot of these recipes and I actually found some Romanian dairy shepherds and, um, their children were like translating for me what they do so that was really really cool um you know and these are like family recipes so i'm hoping so with one yeah so i'm hoping like some rich person will overhear this and be like hey you know what we're gonna just pay for you to go meet all these people so you can go interview them and talk to them and like try their cheeses that's what my dream would be is to actually go to all these places because i talk to dairy shepherds from romania from Ukraine, from Australia, from New Zealand, like all over the globe. And they were so excited and passionate, you know, from Canada to, to give me their knowledge and wisdom in some of these recipes. And I'm like, well, I want to come like meet you and your sheep and feel your wool and taste your cheese. And I am broke. So I can't do that right <laughs> now. <laughs> I just had a baby. So someone needs to babysit him and pay for my flight to all these really cool places or take him to. Okay. I don't um, <laughs> So yeah, so that's, that's one chapter in the book, but the book was really born out of, you know, everyday people entering the homesteading, wanting to know about sheep. So I really wanted the book to read, like I was sitting down at the table with the reader, having a cup of coffee and just talking sheep. So it's a very casually written book. It's very easy to understand. There is technical information in it, but it's not like a typical agricultural book where it's so technical you want to just fall asleep reading it. Sure. Um, so I talk about sheep nutrition. I go over the sheep digestive system. I go over what does sheep health look like. I go over reproductive health. I have a whole chapter on rams and breeding. I talk about preparing for breeding season. I have a chapter on lambing season. Um, mm -hmm. And then I talk, it, it's funny because like, the sheep milk only itself only has about three chapters <laughs> and then everything else is the flock because in order to sure. get healthy milk, you have to have a healthy you and a healthy lamb. And in order to yeah. have that, you need to have an understanding of how these things work. So um, mm -hmm. anyway, that's the book. It, it ended up being, I think, 270 pages altogether, which nice. is a little bit longer than my than we were thinking from like, you know, a 12 page pamphlet. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> For $5. Right, for $5. But, uh, you know, we've got color pictures in it, which I was really happy about. 
Um, I do have a couple lambing diagrams and then a, a picture diagram of how to hand milk a sheep. If that's cool. what you're interested in, um, I have a whole chapter on training your sheep to a halter or the milking stanchion. Um, and then, like I said, there's four of my favorite recipes in there, but then there will be another recipe book at some point once I so figure cool. out a nap schedule with my son. Um, because you might never <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> we're figuring it out but um i just found one of my amish neighbors she she did say she'll watch him once a week for me so maybe i can get some more stuff done that we're figuring out we're figuring out that whole scenario so that's so every homesteader should have amish neighbors that should just be a rule somewhere too like you start with your chickens next is goats but also have an amish neighbor that just needs to be lost <laughs> that's awesome i think i hope that we see sheep become more popular in the homesteading community and i feel like i'm already seeing more pop up where people are like, oh, I, I tried sheep instead of goats, or I was researching goats yes. and was led into sheep. And yeah. I love that you have a book now too, because to have that in one spot, because for me, that's the type of book that I like, I prefer, even if it's more of an academic yeah. style book where, oh, it might bore me if I try to read it to co from cover to cover. But if I can pick something off a shelf and I'm like, I need to reread this chapter, I want to reference this chapter or go back to it and yeah. have like one stop shop book for something like the care of an animal, right. that's what I prefer. Yeah, I, I did. Just, I wrote it like a book that I would want to read. And let me tell you, if you ever get into writing a book, make sure you like what you wrote because you are going to read that about 9 billion times. So, and I will tell you, 9 billion and one times later, I still like my book. So that should tell That's you so it's a nice. good book. <laughs> so, and my editing staff also still tolerates my book they didn't love it quite as much as i do because this is not their, their, you know their of but, course well my publisher still loves my book so janet loves me it's fine um <laughs> aren't the pictures in the book not just of your sheep they're not just like stock photos of sheep you actually kind of sort uh crowdsourced for different images in your book didn't you yeah. i yeah, I actually met another author in the UK trying to find Clune Forest sheep pictures. Um, I mean, in, social media does definitely have a evil empire dark side to yeah. it. But I also have made some really amazing friends and gotten some really like I in the first chapter of my book, there is a nomadic traditional Romanian shepherd that is featured in a pullout box. They're an unreached people group. There's no way I could have ever gotten that interview. But on Instagram, I follow a Romanian photographer just because I was there on the mission field sure. and I like looking at pictures of, you know, yeah. overseas stuff. And so I messaged him and I'm like, hey, it, it seems like you speak English given the captions on your post. Sure. Um, you know, th this is my name. This is who I am. This is what I'm doing. Would you do, do you know a way for me to get in touch with some Romanian shepherds because I'm writing a book on sheep milk. And he writes back and he's like, I go hiking every summer. I meet them all the time. Wow. Which one do you want me to talk to for you? So I was like, <laughs> any, all of them, any of yeah. them, I don't care. And he's like, well, I know this one. He's a really great shepherd. He's one of my really good friends. I'll interview him for you. So he's the one in the book. And, um, so this, this photographer and I have actually become friends. I'm going to ship them both a copy of the book. 
And um, like, they're both just, they were both so complimentary. They're like, you're doing something so special. Thank you for letting us be a part of this. And, you know, I met another dairy shepherd in New Mexico. Her husband actually designed the milking stanchion plans in the book. And they're both like, we're just so honored to be a part of this. And I am so honored that so many people are so complimented by this, by, by being part of this project. Because again, it was supposed to be a pamphlet and it's turned into this beautiful, international mm-hmm. collaboration of dairy shepherds um so I've, I've made some really good friends doing it so yeah the pictures are not stock pictures they're not from a website they're not you know industrial ag pictures of examples here's what this is supposed to look mm-hmm. like every single picture in that book is from a real shepherd somewhere in the world those are their sheep those sheep have names and they sent them in and i'm just i'm just so honored that they were so generous with that so that is so cool that adds so much depth and rich richness to your book and so much an enjoyability like that is so thrilling to me yeah it was so like the picture section actually ended up being just as much work as the content of the book i believe it because i was trying to get real sheep from real shepherds and i i was so happy i did it that way because i met so many cool people that way and actually um one of them happens to be an author as well so we're swapping books um nice which is is just fun so Where can people purchase your book? Like where's the best place for them or where are the places people can find your book? The best place right now is sawdustpublishing.com, which is my publisher. Um, It is available on Amazon right now for the United States version. I have lots of Canadians who are asking about it. We're trying to get it on Amazon Canada and then also the Amazon in the UK. Um, mm-hmm. I know there's some in New Zealand and Australia and I'm trying to figure out how to do that because shipping is an mm-hmm. absolute doozy. Um, yes. I just put it on my website as well, which is whoopsiedaisyfarm.com. Um, mm-hmm. so if you're international and you want to buy it and you're willing to pay shipping, <laughs> you can go onto my website and I will ship you a copy of it. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's, that's where you can find it right now. So besides your book, is there anywhere else people can listen to you or learn more about Dairy Sheep, um, you know, besides your podcast, besides other podcasts you've done in your book? Yes, I do have a fledgling YouTube channel. It's just Whoopsie Daisy Farm on YouTube. And then we have our website, whoopsiedaisyfarm.com. And uh, we are on Instagram and Facebook at Whoopsie Daisy Farm. Sweet. And then... The Homesteaders of America conference, you guys were just there and you had like a, a lecture that you did there as well. Is that available online? Yes. If you are a Homesteaders of America member, if you go to the membership portion of the website, um, I am recorded. I gave a workshop this last HOA on dairy sheep. So you can watch that and um, hear all my sheepy goodness there. The <laughs> Lecture was only about 20 minutes long, but then the question section was much longer and people had really good questions. Nice. Um, yeah. So that a lot of information that I just didn't even think to put into the workshop ended up coming out with the question. So that was pretty cool. That is so cool. We'll all have uh, your website and YouTube and Instagram below along with your links for your book and the publish your publishing company as well. And then um, for those who are members of the home of, um, Homesteaders of America, I'll have the Homesteaders of America link in the description box as well. Then it'll just be like a quick one-stop shop for everybody to find you everywhere that you're located. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, of course.
this has been the best podcast, the best talk. I've enjoyed visiting and and listening to you and have you sharing your experience so much. Well, thank you. I'm so excited to get your copy or my copy of your book. <laughs> yeah, you can't have my copy. No. <laughs> my husband's I'm like, so are you going to sign it? I'm like, I'm, I write. You see my signature all the time. I write checks and sign them. He's like, it's different if it's your book. You have to sign my copy of the book. I'm like, of course. Okay. <laughs> I love you. Thank you for being my biggest fan, sweetheart. Um, of course. That is very sweet. That yeah. is very, very sweet. So, well, thank you. This is fun. I, I enjoy podcast interviews, but this one was, was delightful. So thank you. Of course. Thank you so, so much for coming on. I was really looking forward to this and it did not disappoint at all. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs>